Welcome to Sky Sessions, the Skyweaver podcast. I just got done casting the Championship League's finals. Finals that ended about after two months today. Congratulations to City Summer and all the players. Hopefully this means the team can move to hosting more regular tournaments for everybody. I know that's something the community has been wanting, and it's very fun to get involved in some tournaments. This past week, there were some minor card changes. We'll talk about those briefly. And this podcast, we're also going to be talking about what each element in Skyweaver excels at, or maybe just what its specific purpose is. Uh, first off, let's go to you, Bacon. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. You doing well? I'm good. How are you, Cytus? Uh, so there is a very big festival in Taiwan in this week, which is called Duan Wu. It's a very traditional festival and also one of the longer vacation we have during the whole year. So I have been enjoying the vacation, which means I'm doing pretty well. What does it celebrate? Uh, it celebrates uh, poetry, um, which happens in, <laughs> I think, a long, long time ago. Uh, I think he jumped into the river and and suicide for some reason. But <laughs> there will be a very long, long story. Uh, <laughs> yeah. just, like disconnected. So why do you celebrate this holiday? Oh, you know, some guy jumped in the river, killed himself. Classic stuff. <laughs> yeah, son, son. Yeah, I, oh, yeah, I say that, but we probably have a holiday like that too. I just don't know it. <laughs> I, I've I've heard it's bad form to celebrate someone's death, so uh, I'll try not to. Um, okay, that's fun. <laughs> What about That's you, why you shouldn't play. That's why so you like, shouldn't play City Death in Sky River. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> That's bring, why we bring don't it play you. Some way. Uh, yeah. What have you What have you been playing? Actually, if you're not playing City Death, what have you been playing? Uh, uh, as I mentioned in the last <clears throat> episode, uh, I've been keep trying the Firefox I just mentioned and keep making changes. And eventually, I have to remove Montage in the deck because uh, <coughs> we don't really need such a finisher. So uh, the deck has become more mid-rangey. And as mentioned before, I think the deck is still very fun to play, especially when you get a pork hand, uh, which includes Jungle Guide and a lot of low-cost fire spell. It can be really huge on turn 4, turn 5, or turn 6. But... Uh, uh, it's not as stable as other meta decks in <coughs> killer version, so I will just treat it as a fun deck to play around. And since I have been celebrating the uh, festival, I, I have limited time to play Skyweaver, so I have been really only playing the Firefox deck. So what have you been playing, Bacon? Uh, I finally got a Hork deck that uh at least works. It's kind of uh cringe though uh some people have like pointed out that one of the really strong things that uh deaf city does is combos with like casket opal golem elder shroom phoenix plume and uh molten heart the idea is that like you know casket just like draws and triggers stuff effects so if you put that with opal golem or elder shroom you just get like draw and ramp and a body and then you can just abuse that by copying the spell effects I actually looked at those and I went, oh, hey, wait, Hork can do that too. So I kind of no, put all can. of those together with uh, Firesight 
Yes, he can. And he no, can do it reliably. Yep, you yep. You don't have... You... Uh-huh. You don't have Aris inside and casting Kronk, and that's huge. Yeah, it is huge, but, like, we do have Tune-Up, which can find Elder Shroom or Casket. And then we also have Firesight, which can find our Molten Heart Phoenix Bloom things. And also just, like, other good fire spells or things. Like, it draws Tiamat, it draws Chakram. I have Burninate in here because I need one more, but you could run Forest Fire. And this deck is kind of... Like, it's good enough to play. It really just lives off of the fact that Elder Shroom is probably too abusable. But, uh, yeah, I got that functioning. I also got a, like, my own, like, Firefox deck back up and running. Because I've discovered that Vlad's Command could actually be, like, useful in the current meta. Thanks to my suggestion? Uh, kinda. I wanted to build a deck that just, like, mercs city death. Because I really hate losing to overpowered death effects. So I kind of just started throwing, like, Lightning Vial, Gleam Guide, Zero, Righteous in here. And I'm like, you know what, let's put Chop Gusto in here and let's just build a Heatwave deck because it's been forever. So I put all that together. And uh, something interesting that I've been working with is that Vlad's Command is really handy if you can actually like get that uh, double banner to work. Like if you play Anoint and Flame first, Vlad's Command will of course draw a three cost unit. But uh, that's just the cost of like playing Vlad's Command. So you know, you dex in, you get banner for that turn. And if you hit another banner from something like Gale, Hot Dog drawing a Fire Rune, or Lao Sensei triggering its banner with a spell, then all of a sudden you're sitting on four banner, and that's kind of whack. Also, yeah. it draws Righteous. So, like, you know, I just... The deck was built to counter City Death, and it accomplishes that well. Cool. Handle? I've, uh, I've actually had some time to play and stream this week. It's been nice. It's been fun in the game. I've been playing mostly Hork as well, but a very very different variety than what you were explaining. Um, aggro? No, not aggro. I've mostly, it focuses on the big guys, but it's a little different than what other people seem to be playing. It's doing okay though. It, it has a lot of smaller cost units. It, it runs that guard package with Shogun as well as um, the Oh man, I, I am not the gonna card do that is the card that is definitely not named Bruno. I was gonna say Iron Shell and Shogun and <laughs> Elder Elder Shroom, which is old Fogey, is also in there. So it's got the guard package as well as you know, and it builds it gets through a while with that, and then it has Crystal Cash in it, and the only two metal cards are Chromiosaur and Rise from Scrap. So it tries to you know churn. Four, um, Crystal Cash, then turn five, Chromiosaur, and if you need to turn six, get Chromiosaur back and make your Undragon cost six. So it's, uh, it's pretty good at getting some cheap units later in the game, and you're able to possibly play uh, a Multanus and a Tiamat on the same turn or something like that. Yeah. Speaking of, what do you guys think of the patch? I mean, I don't think anything in the pack, patch was wrong. I don't think they, you know, um, did they go far enough? I I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. We got so many new cards coming out. But, yeah, as far as the patch goes, I mean, we got six modified cards. All of them 
needed to be modified. The only one I'm not sure if was the best way to do it was Gary, but everything else just seems seems great. I also don't know about the buff to casket. That seems weird. But, you know, Undragon, not a very, very, very small nerf. Probably not enough, but we'll see with time. Uh, Cryogen, I think that nerf is really under... Um, appreciated by the community people are saying one one man didn't do anything it doesn't change anything but they're still dying to cryogen they don't realize that they would have died a turn earlier and that is a huge difference and i think i think that's a that's a big change if we want to keep cryogen if we want to keep that huge dragon that is a finisher then um moving it to 10 is fine i, I it's still a huge finisher but um if we're gonna have that in the game that's okay but 10 mana is better than 9. Uh, did you remember we discussed about the Chromiosaur Cryogen uh, Mirror Well deck in yeah. the last episode? Uh -huh. Yeah, I've been making joke uh, in some <laughs> Skyward Private Discord that if they nerf Chromiosaur by changing the minus 2 codes to minus 1, or, or they uh, nerf the Cryogen to 10 codes, uh, I can now hold in hold into Cryogen. And <laughs> it's real now. <laughs> Yeah, but you don't get the play effect. <laughs> yeah, but it's still yeah. a knight armor still, which means if you don't if you don't have any hard removal, uh, knight heals with armor is very very hard to remove. And I am pretty happy if if I didn't draw Cryogen, and I I will definitely cast Honing Hong into it, just to cause trouble to my opponent. I'm not saying yeah. it's overpowered. It's just funny. And I think yeah. uh, Undragon is actually hit a bit harder because Cascade can no longer draw Undragon and trigger its death effect. So I think for a normal CT cheat deck, the Cascade is definitely a buff, but for cheating CT, it's a nerf. So I don't hate the change. And we, talk, we also talk about uh, what is the uh, most wanted card change for you? And I, I, I say remove Anima from Bioluminary, and they just did it in these patches. So I also like the, the change. Uh, you all know I'm a Mira Well enjoyer, so seeing the card draw from Amaruas Well being removed is kind of sad. But I, but I also think it's pretty fair. So overall, I think this is a pretty okay patches. I don't have any of the changes in this patch. Bacon, you've been trying to get something out for a while. What's up? Ah, uh, a couple things. First off, like, I think that there's a design philosophy with the way that, like, the patch cycle is that people kind of forget about during the patch streams and stuff. And that's that whether or not you like it or agree with it or not, they have said that like the midweek patches are supposed to be kind of like check-in patches. They are designed to be smaller and less invasive. And then the like monthly patches are like the big shake everything patches. And you may not think that that is the best approach or not, but I think that's only fair to grade a patch on what it is like kind of trying to do. So even if you think that like the, uh, Undragon or Casket nerfs weren't really enough, which I'll get to those in a second. I think that, like, you kind of have to... If you want to criticize it as a whole, you have to say, this approach is bad. 
but I don't think you can say that they failed their approach with this patch. I am going to say though, I think that the Cryogen nerf was not enough. I feel like there's a difference in kind between finishers that answer or that like win the game when they are unanswered and finishers that just end the game. I think Cryogen is very brutal at just ending the game when it's played and maybe that's not appropriate at 10 mana. I don't really know because we don't really have a lot of good like cards for comparison. You know, like, there's not there's not other cryogens in the game, really. It's kind of just one of a kind. And you play cryogen, like, I've played cryogen a lot. You just drop it, and then it's like a gazillion points of burn. You hit them with zaps or something, you punch them with your hero, and then they die. But, uh, I think there's an open question that nobody has really answered yet about just how good expensive cards are supposed to be. If they're supposed to win the game upon being played, then cryogen is actually, like, well-designed and it's doing its job well. But if people are supposed to have, like, a counterplay turn against finishers, like, I develop my big unit, and I kind of, like, wag my finger at you, and I'm like, ah, you gotta deal with this, or else I'm gonna win, which is much more cards like Tiamat or Pharaonis, then, uh, Cryogen is out of line. But it kind of depends on what big cards are supposed to do. I mean, today in the finals, the game five of the finals, um... One person got their cryogen in fairly early, and it got a hit. And then the other person was City Summer. The other person won um, about five, six turns later with their own cryogen. But they were able to answer. They were able to, you know... Um, they answered with what? Encapsulate? They did. They top-decked Encapsulate, but, uh, <laughs> which was great. Ah. But the, they also yeah, had to read about that undermines your point a little. <laughs> I've seen lots of games with Cryogen not just end. There have been plenty of people who have been able to come back and re-establish themselves after being hit with Cryogen. Oh yeah, of course. But like, that's always happening from people like having specifically teched removal just to deal with the Cryogen, and then also holding that removal for the Cryogen, and then your opponent playing the Cryogen after your opponent happens or after you happen to draw the removal that you need and then held it. And then you probably end up winning that game by either playing your own cryogen or an undragon or something similar. Which isn't necessarily like the worst gameplay cycle. Like, I think that generally the community kind of has like short-term memory when it comes to uh, the metas we've had and how far the game has progressed. But, uh... Like I said, there's an open question about, like, what cards are supposed to be doing at this cost. Yeah, I'm also saying that I just don't, I don't hate it. I'm not, I I don't sit here and look at Cryogen. I don't necessarily like it. I don't necessarily think it's exactly the exact thing I want out of Skyweaver, but I also am not saying that this scene is something that ruins the game for me. The only reason yeah. it ruins the game is because so many people are playing City and Mira exclusively. So what we do need to be able to have a cryogen be okay is have something strong enough for other deck archetypes to play because if you're just seeing like two heroes, then um it's just not a complete game. But Yeah. Yeah. Like I think at any time it should always be important that at least three of the five prisms are like well represented. And you technically get that, because, like, you got Int, 
twice, and then you have, like, heart and strength. But, like, that's, that's kind of overlapping, you know? I think it's also important that, like, all the archetypes are well represented. So, like, you got your aggro decks, mid-range, control, and combo. And I think that we're kind of failing on both of those. So, Haken, uh, what would you classify Dex, Lerman, on Dragon, or Quadrant as a win con? Do you call them uh, mid-range or control? Uh, so, I don't think that you actually classify decks that simply... I think what you need to do is you need to look at the cards in the deck. You need to look at how that deck is playing against other decks in a meta. And then you need to unpackage what the role of certain cards are in those decks to actually, like, pry it out. So, like, if I have Cryogen and Undragon on top, and then beneath that I have Enigma Golem, Mass Confuse, uh, all kinds of control tools, like I have Incap, I have Volcanic Potion then these are control-style finishers. I am trying to stall the game, develop a lot of mana, and get to a point where I can develop Cryogen or Undragon, and then I win. Why? Because I starved you out of resources. Alternatively, I could be playing a very low-curve city deck that has, like, Lapin Micronear, Tireless Iteration, Boon and Edels, Doomlighter, and then on top I also have Cryogen and Undragon. Here, the purpose is still a finisher, but it's not a control finisher that works because I starved you of resources. Instead, I'm going to try and beat you down throughout the entire game, I'm going to throttle you on tempo, and then eventually, by the time I work my way up to here, it's just going to be me curving threat after threat after threat, at which point I'm going to overwhelm you on tempo. And also, you know, all the burn damage, that cryogen and undragon deal. Yeah. I so you might just... still be holding a lot of cards, but... uh. I don't win because I ran you out of cards, I win because I ran you out of health. Yeah, I think you just named the biggest issue about this card, because they can literally fit in any archetype in these two heroes. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well I think that we will see more about this um, once we have the... Next patch-up, it's going to be so different. I know you guys can't really talk about it, but I think that there was hinted. I know it was hinted. I don't know if it's a fact, but I know it was hinted that the uh, starter decks are coming very, very soon and maybe even surprise us uh, next week with the release or the announcement for them. Um, so that'll shake everything up. And what is good now might not even be good. I mean, it'd be hard to imagine a, a meta where Cryogen isn't good, but what deck archetypes we're playing might change drastically. So, um, you know, give Balance Patches a little bit of a breath here while we shake everything up. And just so everyone knows, I mean, once they add 100 cards, crap's going to be broken. Something's going to be broken, but it'll be fun. Um, the reason I know it's broken is because Cytus and Bacon are the playtesters, and they don't know what they're talking about, so... Um, we'll, uh... You got me there. I've just been buffing foxes, Maddie. You've just been buffing foxes. No, uh... Um, yeah, this two-cost unit can have one more hit point. <laughs> For legal reasons, that was a meme. A meme. <sighs> anyway, so... It's going to be all all different here in a second, and I don't really feel like it's that beneficial to go really in-depth with where we are right now, 
maybe after next week. Um, not this upcoming week, but yeah. maybe after next week, we will uh, be able to see a whole new world. So you guys want to move on to what we're going to talk about, our little topic for this week. We're going to talk about elements in Skyweaver and more specifically what we personally think their main purpose is or what they excel at. Does that sound like what we're going to do, guys? Is that, did I put that right? Yeah, sure. I hope so. That's that's what I planned on. Okay. Um. So, what elements do you guys want to start with? Uh, uh, we could go alphabetically. Holy cow. Okay, no, I didn't. I almost put them alphabetical as it were. So, let's start with air, then. Okay. Sidus, what do you think air excels at, or what do you think its purpose is? Okay, so when you talk about the air element, the first iconic cause that popped out in my mind is actually the montage. Uh, that's probably because uh, when I choose to play air, uh, most of them are banner-related <coughs> decks. So if you want, to, if you really want to do something with banner, I think air is probably the best element <coughs> for you to choose because there are so much key cards exist in this prison. For example. Uh, strike song, montage, rock, and everything like that. And also, uh, it has a very good early game supported tool, which also comes with banner. Uh, for for example, I can this uh, Gato, Goose, Hunk, Songwriter, Gale. So uh, it, the element really have a lot of banner supported supported mechanics. So uh, I would say the key element of air is actually banner. Ooh, I'm gonna disagree, Sidus. Yeah, I, I we all know you like to disagree with people, so you're <laughs> yours. That is in fact my core personality trait. <laughs> or No, I guess it would have been funnier there to say no it isn't, but uh it's too late for that now. <laughs> no problem. Just go ahead Anyways, and Anyways. Speaking of being a contrarian, one of the, in my opinion, strongest traits of the air element is its disruptive abilities. Air has got two enchants that are very useful and relevant. Shroud attaches to a unit, and until sunrise, that unit just cannot be targeted your, by your opponent. The other enchant is silence, which completely turns off a lot of powerful death effects. It also lets you just like overwrite stuff, which can be helpful for all kinds of things. Aside from that, or not even aside from that, just like put those two together, and it put them on a lot of other air units that also have disruptive utility. Skykeeper shuts down sunrise and sunset effects. Your opponent plays a cryogen, you can answer with Skykeeper, and then that cryogen just loses its sunrise effect. It can also shut down Feronis, Armismatic, all kinds of things. Gleam Guide can just evaporate their discard pile. Spirit of Sleep can just wall off attacks. There is a lot of like disruption in the uh, air element. And it provides it with like a lot of uh, sticking powers throughout things, especially whenever you start combining it with other cards. Like Hope is very... First off, Hope is like a really underrated stat line. 5-5 five, five Guard, Banner, Shroud is good. But the fact that it slaps Shroud onto all of your ally units means that it can make very durable boards. On the top end, you have things like Great Gusto and Norsodovist that can also completely undermine your opponent's board position. It, uh... Like the Banner, multi-attack stuff, very important. But uh, frankly, like if you are looking at playing like error element stuff, 
I think what you really want to think about is how am I going to mess with my opponent and how am I going to use this to further my own game plan? Even the first card you mentioned, Gatto, is uh, primarily a disruption card, not a uh, banner card. Do you have a response, Sidus? Oh. <laughs> yeah, Sidus. Uh, I, I think I can agree with the Gatto card. Gatto part. And I mentioned Gatto because it's a, a pretty good early game removal if you are playing a Venus-centric deck, but yeah, you can also serve as a disruption tool for sure. Yeah. But uh, I think we both make uh, some certain senses, sense about the element. I, you can play air with a Venus-centric deck and you can play air as a supportive dis uh, disruption addition. I think both of them will do pretty well. I so, yeah yeah I put down for my uh main theme or or what it excels at for air as also banner as well as just straight um hero attacks I, I think that that's kind of the cornerstone of what it's best at or what it, uh really shows up as where you have air being something that other elements aren't really doing as much and you have things like montage of course and other cards that semi strike that helps attack that's not a banner card but you mix that with something like um wukin scrapper you have a lot of attacking supported cards and banner not least of all with um songbirds and flock and um all the different banner cards in in air. I think there's there's too many to even mention, but air has is full of banner, and I think that's what the element itself excels at um, more than anything else. Yeah. Okay. So I can two to one. I <laughs> almost agree with y'all. There's one thing I've got one counter argument to that proposal. Where are the multi attack cards, and where are the banner support cards in air, other than the agility prism? There is not a single banner air card in strength. If you go over to wisdom, there is a uh, one. And also, multi-attacking is strictly like an agility prism thing. Now, all of that is pretty much just on the air prism, but it also exists in fire. But if you want to say that like that's the core air identity, you're completely ignoring all the air cards that exist in other prisms. I'd say probably the one air card that can get you the most banner in a turn is not an agility card. Um, You're going to say Nimbus, aren't you? I'm going to say Nimbus, yeah. You bastard. <laughs> also, Gato, okay, which Nimbus we were talking about earlier, is also intellect. Gato is just a good card. Like, there's not... You can't deny that. <laughs> but, no, I understand what you're saying. Um... And, yeah, yeah, and I yeah. think air is kind of the all of these elements are going to fit better into a certain um, prism than not, not like you can't say that dark element doesn't fit better in heart. And I think air element fits better in agility than the other prisms. Um, so when you see air, you're going to see it most often, uh, I think, in agility. Yeah, half almost half the air cards are in agility. Yeah. 
Yeah. Actually, Sidus, I'm gonna say a word that uh, only you are going to understand, and then we're just going to leave Blank Handle hanging. But uh, there might be a bit of a endogeneity issue with classifying the elements like this. <laughs> ah, that was a statistics joke for the uh, seven statistics fans in the audience. That's what Bacon likes to do to other participants in Skype section, guys. Uh-huh. If we're going alphabetically, okay. I think the dark is next. Yeah. Yep. So I guess you have to go first, Bacon, though. I have to go first? Okay, well, I think uh, it's pretty clear that um, dark is the strongest in regards to death effects. Um, all prisms have death effects. All prisms have good ones, uh, at least one. But when we look at dark, we see um, more of them, including zomboids, including um, so many cards that revolve around death that might not fit into your class. Like if you look at Death City, which has the name death in it, you'll see that most of its death cards aren't necessarily dark. You got Casket, which is mine. You've got um, Flame Cannon, which is fire. You got Timber, which is earth. Um, and those don't have too much to do with death. But if you look through the entire prism, you'll find a lot of cards that have death effects. Um, and I think that that and self-killing and um, all of those kinds of things are probably what Dark excels the best at and what you might use it for. Sidus, do you agree? Yeah, I kind of agree. But uh, the death effect is my, not my choice because I guess someone has to choice death effect. So uh, when I think about <laughs> the dark element, uh, the first card that pops into my mind is actually Longboid. And uh, even so, Longboid is a unit with death effect, but it also has an important part, which is Wizard. So uh, if you... Uh, set wizard as a filter option in the library, you will see there are currently 79 cards that come with wizard. And if you add another filter option to filter only dot card, you will see 38 results, which means half, the, half of the cards that have wizard is actually dark element. And consider the fact that we have eight element, <clears throat> half of a uh, collection is pretty huge. So um, Wizard is actually a very handy trait uh, if you are playing a defensive strategy or you are if you are playing for a specific win con that you can achieve if you survive till uh, the corresponding turn. And of course, I'm talking about Grave Real. So um, right now, a lot of decks are still playing Grave Real as their win con because uh, it just do so much burn damage with your long void. And being able to weaken uh, units your opponent control by uh, utilizing the wizard trade is actually pretty important because uh, if they choose to trade, uh, the power of their units will decrease, which means you can have a larger, ch good, better chance to survive into your grave real turn. So I think wizard is a very good trade in the dark element and also a very iconic one. So now I'm pretty interesting, uh, interested if Bacon can bring us something new. 
Oh, I most certainly can. Uh, so so first off, though, I actually just found something really interesting. I've got a bit of Skyweaver trivia for y'all. There is exactly one element that has one Wither card in it. Did any of y'all like to guess what it is and what that card is? Earth Nettle. Uh... Cytus? I, I, I guess I'm a good guess might, but I, I, I'm not pretty certain about it. It is mind. Can you all oh. think of the card? Yeah, the the big eye guy. Oh yeah. Yeah, stink eye. Yeah, fun fact: the stink eye used to be like a really good uh, aggressive card, but uh, it used to give the card plus three cost and reveal it. Now it's only plus two. Oh man, so, like, stink it used eye to be in... a zero mana. It used to be a zero mana three three basically. <laughs> stink eye in. Uh, Dig was so annoying. Yeah. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's better in the uh, Wisdom Ramping meta because everyone is using Gift of Aya to draw Gigabrun and they can play uh, Gigabrun in the next turn. So uh, if you run Stink Eye, you just play Stink Eye after they play Gift of Aya and it's a good disruption for their tempo. Gift of Aya no longer draws your highest cost dark card. Yeah. That's as well. <laughs> or Earth card. Yeah. Anyways, back to our main topic. I actually have something different for the Dark Element. Going through all the cards, the thing that I think the Dark Element actually excels more at than any other prism is card value. So, uh, there are two, like, broad concepts for classifying cards, and we use these tools to understand, like, what their ideal functions are in a card game. These are Tempo and Value. Value is kind of just like how much stuff you get for the card. And tempo is, of course, the value over the mana cost. So if you get an absurd amount of stuff for very cheap, uh, that is a very high tempo card. If you just get a lot of stuff, that's a high value card. Dark cards are really good at value because they have got a lot of what we call plus one options or just floaters. A floater is any card that is a unit that replaces itself, whether it be on like summon or death. Usually, good floaters are also cheap. So things like Crypto and Jacko make good floaters. Technically in the category are also things like Grimstone and Right Knight. These are just like handy cards because they help keep you from getting depleted on resources. But uh, Dark has got like a lot of these. So like Bloodletter draws, Vanessa draws, Dr. Vile draws. The whole Fate enchant just with anything works. Board Keeper doesn't really replace itself, but it generates more units at the same time. And then you also just have good searchers like, again, Jacko and also Carrion Crow. Aside from good value engines like that, uh, Dark, especially because it's focused on uh, like uh, the Heart Prism, just has a bunch of good like plus one effects. So like Breach the Gates is currently one of the most important cards in the game. Sidus mentioned it earlier, but like... If you just think about it, forget the fact that it's Zomblades, forget the fact that it deals, like, burn damage. It's two mana for two units that are both one twos with Wither. If you aggregate the stats, that's just two mana, two four, but, you know, it's plus one, and also it goes back into your deck and it keeps doing stuff. You've got other things on the high end, so, uh, Call the Dead is good value. Allbane, if it was a good card, would <laughs> be good value. Uh, you can generate lots of good value out of things like... Harbinger, you can easily go plus one with that. Doomsday, Undragon, Rising Doom, Empty the Undercroft. 
it just has a lot of tools that are like mathematically very solid. And uh, yeah, like if I'm playing like a dark deck, like I play Zoe Dark every now and then because like it's really fun. You run raised banners and then you have like 26 dark cards. That deck is just constantly like bleeding cards. Like your hand is always full, your board is always full, and it's always a challenge of like what am I supposed to do with all these cards? Because the dark element is just really good at generating resources. I just realized, Bacon, that you, like, write articles on this, don't you? <laughs> You're telling me you haven't read any of them? Of course, I've read them all. Uh, I just forget everything I say. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm answering these questions from an emotional standpoint. Like, I, I, I'm glad we're not all doing that. Um, I just, like, I'm answering, like, what I feel like when I hear an element, like, what I feel like it, it, it does in the game. Because, uh... Yeah, well, that's stupid. Facts don't care about your feelings. Yeah, but podcasts do. <laughs> yeah. But good answer. Yeah. I still think yeah, it, I, I still think it. death effects are, are are important. I mean, death effects is an obvious answer, but like, also, if we're going to go through all of these, I would like to uh, bring something novel. Yeah, of course. What novel thing do you have to bring to the Earth element? Wait, did we go over? Sides did wither. Yeah. All right. What do you have to bring to the Earth element, Bacon? Yeah. So here is some of our endogeneity rearing its head. Uh, what that term kind of means in like a statistical sense is sometimes you have situations where like uh, there's a phrase everybody says that like correlation does not equal causation or whatever. Sometimes you can have like statistical effects that are kind of within other situations. That's probably not the best explanation of it. But uh, you have two things that are working together, and it's hard to see which one is going to the other and where the influence is lying. I think that issue kind of arises with uh, Earth because a lot of it is focused on wisdom and strength. And those two are very good stats prisms. So uh, I think the most pressing thing to be aware of for the earth prism is its focus on stats it has stats everywhere it has stats galore so even if you look at like it's one cost units a lot of them are very just like stat wise good like claw bear is a definitional like grounding tool it's not really played ever because a one mana two three just isn't good in the meta but pretty much every other one mana unit in the game is judged in relation to claw bear it has stat buffing things off of cards like fungi Redwood, the Anima Enchant, Ephralomary, the much-beloved Bioluminary, and uh, just all over the place, like Boon Nettles, Amaras Will, Orchid. Even on the top end, uh, it's big, like, flashy items like Hex Treefolk, Amaruaf are all buffing stats at the same time that cards like Hydrex, Titanic, just have an absurd number of attack and hit points. So uh, if, like, you're ever talking about, like, Earth, especially if you're thinking like a Earth Titus deck or a Earth Ada. I've seen Earth Mira. Earth Mira doesn't work. Please stop playing it. We're also Earth Horic. Like you always need to be thinking, okay, they are going to play a ton of stats. They are going to be all over the place and they are going to be on top of me the entire game. Cool. I also kind of went with the stats uh, centered answer. I talked about growth of stats though. I think that Really, Earth uh, excels at things that 
that get bigger from all the way down to like redwood, or I guess we could go all the way down to, yeah, bioluminary, redwood, mechshroom, fun guy. All these cards um, give plus stats, friendly fawn, um, and then enema, which is the very like elemental core of it, gives plus two, plus two. You have uh, Pudo, which is just getting plus one, plus all the t one all the time. Um, and even Minstrel, which is giving stat boosts to cards when you draw them. Band together, just giving big stat boosts to everybody. So I think Earth, um, you know, kind of what, what it stands out to me the most is stat boosting deck um, and, and growth. Like cards that can get bigger and bigger as they go along. Um, that I think is yeah. kind of, it, it does a lot of things, a lot of interesting things and building boards is great with earth. Building boards is fantastic. Keeping boards is good, but once you lose it, it's hard to regain. But if you can build and keep a board, it's possible for those cards to grow and grow and grow. Yeah. Growing on your growth stream, earth is also one of the only elements that has access to ramping tools. I think yeah, Sidus is probably going to talk about that. Gift of Aya, Gigabloom, and Take Root. <laughs> yeah. Sidus <laughs> are uh, in-house wisdom player that uh, every podcast must have one of and no more. What are your thoughts on uh, wisdom? Uh, I'm not actually a wisdom or, player. Wisdom, Earth, Earth. Oh, Earth, okay. So I, I guess uh, you two kind of concluded the element, actually. So uh, as mentioned in the previous two elements before, uh, I usually start by choosing an iconic card. And I think the most played Earth card right now is probably Amaru's Well. And what it does is just uh, uh, the conclusion of you two guys, uh, which is giving a lot of state. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I can't I believe we missed to... this, but literally right next to Amaraf's Will is Jungle Guide, which is also a well-statted card that piles stats into your hand. Yeah, if you look at the uh, inspire effect of every every single element, you will notice that almost every inspire effect in Earth Prison is giving state. So as you mentioned, Jungle Guy is giving uh, a lot of state to your hand. And Pudo Redwood, as Ben Kendall mentioned, gives state to themselves. The only exception is probably Messiah. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, you, you don't find so much state gain in other elements comparing to Earth. Well, if you're not going to talk about it too much, it should be definitely noted that Earth is got the most ramp all the way from Rosewater Charm to Take Root to Gift of Aya to um, Giga Bloom. All of these things uh, we have we have ramp and other. Oh, and and Foggy, too. So there's there's ramp elsewhere as well, but you're not going to see more of it than you're going to see in Earth. So, uh, Sidus, you want to take fire? Uh, I think the most straightforward uh, concept uh, when you think of fire is actually burn. Uh, so, there are a lot of very good <laughs> burn options in fire element that you can use to target not only the enemy unit, but also enemy hero. And this is this from very low mana cost. Uh, for example, we have Scorch at one cost to mid gain where we have something like burn to a quiz <coughs> uh, and 
to the very late game when we have some finishing options such as catch and Tiamat's rage. And these are <clears throat> this usually serve not only the removal role but also a burn tool if you uh if the circumstances demand. So it's pretty versatile. Uh if you are playing a aggro deck or a faster mid-range deck, uh it's very likely that you will have some kind of uh fire spell as finisher. Sometimes even fire units can do that. Uh for example the <coughs> Post buff Tiamat is doing pretty well, and we also have some very good mid range units such as uh, Festival Cannon and Blad. So it kind of uh, the best element that excel in delivering burning damage. I hundred percent agree. I just wrote burn. I think you know it does some good things. Uh elsewhere that are noticeable and has some cool interactions and notably removal but i definitely think if you're thinking fire you're thinking burn um you're thinking do damage and remove or face yeah so i'm going to disagree again <laughs> so first off fire it's like okay it might get a little confusing like the burn in fire is good it's like generally really good i don't think it's actually the best in the game right now and i'm kind of saddened by that but like if you're thinking of like anything that's really like doing serious burn damage you're thinking of probably two cards you're thinking of zomboids or you're thinking of some asshole looping timber now that death city deck can also like have flame phoenix and uh festival cannon but uh i don't think those two cards alone can like define the whole prism what I think is a much more relevant aspect of the fire element is its tempo. Because fire cards, generally speaking, have got really good tempo. And this is actually like across prisms. Probably one of the most important, or not most important, like one of the most foundational one-cost units in the game is Fox Familiar. Everybody knows that like I like it because I have it as my profile pick, but I don't think I've actually talked on this podcast yet about why I like it so much. If you play a Fox Familiar as player one, turn one, what are the good answers for dealing with that fox familiar? Kinda technically almost none. So you can play something like Bogey Bogey, but you're going to lose on tempo, and also now there's a fox familiar floating around in your deck, you're going to need something like Supersonic to get value out of that. You could play a one-mana removal, but uh, well, we just traded one for one, except I went first, so like I'm going to be in a better board position. You could somehow develop a double banner, but now you've really expanded wide, so you've left me a lot of room to punish. There just isn't great ways to deal with that. And there's a lot of very, like, good tempo-trappy cards all across the fire element. Pyrocrafter is a deceptively good counter, because if your opponent tries to play anything with banner to deal with it, it's only a one-mana unit. It's very hard to get a one-cost, like, banner unit to deal with this. And whatever you play, unless it's, like, in Mechari, it's also going to immediately wither it. Fire Rune is one of the best bus spells in the game, and Fire actually has like two one-mana banner options with On the Hunt, which would be an amazing card if it wasn't for Fox Familiar being so good. You've also got two-cost draw on Firesight, you've got Chalk Realm, which is very tempo-efficient, Hex Volpine, Incinerate, Shredder. Like, it goes all the way up the prism. Like, even its top-end options are still, like, barely tempo-effective. Muttermander is a metric wall of banner that just immediately slaps down when you play it well. 
Soul Pyre Titan, very iconic card, can just discount itself to zero. And even its expensive stuff like Tiamat is still strong and reactive on board whenever it's played. The whole reason that uh like fire focused decks are able to uh compete in any meta is because they have access to all of these amazing cards. And I haven't even like mentioned Hot Dog or Run Wild or anything like that. It just has like it has cheap tempo efficient cards. So whenever you see fire, like they are beating you on tempo. That's just how that works. I'm gonna kind of argue with you a little bit here. Cause you made you made a comment about banner being an agility thing i argue that the tempo in uh fire is mostly an agility thing because if you go to intellect you have things like in fuego which is a terrible tempo card you have um anti-mango mago which isn't a good tempo card and heart you have flame phoenix which is terrible cards i'm just saying like but when, when you're talking about good tempo you're usually once again talking about agility well, I can demonstrate in other prisms. And okay, so like pick pick one. Maybe Intellect has six fire cards. Okay, so there once was a time in the game where a light was a banner card. It did all the same stuff, but it had banner. And basically, every intellect deck in the game always had to have three light cards plus a light because there was no reason to avoid running a one mana banner draw. On the hunt is a one mana banner draw, and that is just a good card that is solid firesight has recoil which is also like an important part of fire flavor like fire tends no to, i'm saying that uh, you know, it does it does have good tempo and in, in strength but besides those two it's it's lacking a bit okay well we can go to wisdom matchstick is like it's a body it removes incinerate is arguably the best two cost removal in the game scorch is also just good one cost removal uh, these are good removal options, but they are not good tempo cards. <clears throat> well, I mean, here. So let me. You got wax and piper and way. scraggy. They're the kind... Again, those are just bad cards. I'm just yeah. I'm not arguing with you. I'm not trying to fight against you. Like you weren't trying to fight against me with banner. Um, I'm just also pointing out that sometimes. You have situations where we're talking mostly about one prism within the um, the element. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty normal because uh, the element is not evenly distributed in every single prison. Oh. So there got to be... Yeah, if you check the Hrogan, you will see most of the fire cards uh, was in the Strange or Agility prison. So it's made a lot of sense that... <clears throat> The best cards are in these two prisons. Yeah. All right. Who wants to take us off with light? Because I'm going to struggle with this one. Uh, so light is actually an element that I really like. Uh, for the light prism, I said that like life is just generally what it excels at. And I mean that in multiple senses of it. So light has... I believe light has more lifesteal... Than any other element in the game. Let's see, 16. Maybe really evenly distributed? Let me check. I think it just barely edges out Earth. Nope, Dark has more. Yeah. Well, anyways. Yeah. Uh, the Light Element does have like a lot of lifesteal options, but it also has a lot of guard and stuff. And altogether, 
if you're playing like light decks, generally you're actually going to be rather healthy. And that's kind of like part of what it's supposed to be like. That's kind of like just a common association that light has. If you think about its uh, like key like symbols, so like you have shield, which uh, obviously protects. Zap is also like a life seal spell that is found on a lot of things. And I mean, it just has like, it has healing options. Not many elements has that. So like earth, water, those have healing options. Beside from those, like the best ones are kind of in light. Like you got Jikinsu, which just heals you a lot for your hand. Beloved, which also appears on Bard Rock, is there. Light Ranger, very overlooked, strong healing card. And also kind of more passive healing things like Cause Wrath and Comet. Also Libra. Hey, and Genesis, uh, and, uh, yeah, Genesis Avatar, sometimes you get, or Avatar of Light, uh, actually, yeah, sometimes Avatar of Light can get you a lot of healing, too. Yeah. Oh, Avatar of Light is nutty. I've got the, uh, City Zoo deck I've been playing a lot, that has, like, the Cryogen and Undragon on top. Uh, there are two different packages I have, but one of them with a one-cost unit package. It really exploits Avatar of Light with Zaps, because you can play it with, uh, like, Electron or Leonidas. And all those zaps just start healing you for a ton. And if we're talking Very about helpful. healing, we should also mention uh, mummies. Mummies are the token of light that give. Ah, uh, uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, for me, light. I was not able to really discern one thing. I definitely put healing down as one of one of its main attributes, but I, I knew it's not. You know necessarily all it does we have a lot of resurrect cards in light that we don't see too much except for some in you know we have earth we have undergrowth and stuff but um we have like rebirth and ancients rise and second chance um Pharaonis's command just well that doesn't really count but the cards that interact with the grave that aren't dark like uh Pharaonis as well so that's interesting. Also, the zaps should, you know, be mentioned. Those are also healing, but they're pretty um, essential to light. And then if we're talking about a single card, um, Glorious Main is huge on buffing. And buffing is big in it when we have um, Shield Bash and Dawn Blade. Um, so from, from hand to board buffing... Um, it's big and light too, so I I, I hard, find it hard to find one thing in light that differentiates it and says, this is light's thing. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I completely so forgot my... to mention Hexeret. Yeah, Hexeret is actually uh, very good at <clears throat> doing the health regen synergies. Uh, so my choice is... Uh, my original choice is, is uh the send to bacon, which is uh heals heal scan in light prison. Uh but since uh -huh. bacon has already brought this up, I will uh mention another thing that I noticed in this prison is that uh uh it's probably one of the most playable uh one of the prison that had most playable spells that override enchantment. And I'm talking about the <coughs> shield. So you can, you can, there's a lot of very strong cards that override enchantment, such as Tacticians, Force Field, Downblade, Shell Bash, uh, Rebirth, and Second Chance. And all these will put shield on your units. And when combined with something 
uh, with anima or vapor on them, uh, it will it will give you very good value or tempo. And you, uh, there are a lot of cards in Sky River that can override enchantment, but due to the meta being constantly changing, some of them may fade out from the meta. For example, like uh, one and a half year ago, Life Strain is probably one of the most trunk, trunkest uh, enchantment overwriting spell, but now it barely see any place, even if Vapors got buffed again. But uh, the cards we just mentioned, like Snowbreach, Shellbatch, and Rebirth, these are uh, played by a lot of different kinds of decks, and also a lot of Mirror Wheel decks also run Force Spell for enchantment override. So uh, I think giving show uh, to your units uh, give you immediate tempo and also overriding beneficial enchantment on your side. And this is definitely a, a very important supportive role the light element has been playing. I think it's funny that you mentioned putting shield on uh, cards and you didn't mention Gift of Kwai, which can put shields on all of your units. Ooh. Oh, yeah, also Gift of Kwai. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. You guys actually like want to hear a hot take about shield? Okay. Shield on a normal unit is an offensive enchant. Shield is only a defensive enchant when you put it on a unit with armor. Uh. So if you... Because like, think about like the normal play pattern with shield. You have like a unit on board with shield. If your opponent has units, what do they do? They punch your unit and then they trade. Or they just clear it with a spell and they get to ignore the shield entirely. Like, most of the time, when you have units with shield around, what that shield actually contributes is more damage being dealt to your opponent. It's not usually keeping your units around. There are, like, exceptions, of course. Like, shield is very good at keeping one health units alive. So, like, if you play Potion, Doomlighter on turn one, your opponent probably punches your Doomlighter and you can go, Alright, wise guy, Gift of Kai. And then, you know, you've got all those, like, little tentacles around the Doomlighter, got punched, but now it has that shield up, so it's going to actually be protected. But outside of those instances, shield mostly contributes damage to your opponent. Or at least that's my takes on it. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a good take. Um, I think there's a couple cards that I would argue... Use its shield for defensive. Like Oilophant, I feel like Oilophant shield is mostly there to make it harder to remove at three cost because you might not have things that can just pop it besides, you know, your face, which is, I know, was your point, but it does help it um, hold up a little bit more as, as a guard unit. So some guard units maybe have shield as a defensive trait. Yeah. I will say larger units can take advantage of shield a lot more. So anything that, like, Comet is a great shield user because it, I mean, yeah, you can just punch it, but it has that gigantic six power lifesteal. So, like, it actually punishes your opponent for doing so. Feronis takes advantage of it better than most cards, but, you know, like, it has four power. Tell you what, if they wanted to buff Feronis, put lifesteal on that thing, and suddenly it is a monster. Because there's just no longer a good answer to it. <laughs> if you want to go off topic for a second about enchantments, I've I've played with this idea 
um, of a new enchantment, which I don't think they should make or anything. I just I just theorize about how interesting it would be if it was a sh mixture. Do you think this would be a better or worse enchantment if we had an enchantment that was a mixture of shield and barrier where it could block one hit from either a spell or a hit, but um, it gets popped with either one? Because there would be some reasons that's good and some reasons that's bad. Uh, well, I so, think on paper it sounds super good. Yeah. Uh, just, the question would be, what is that? The question would be, what is it trying to achieve? Because like enchants in a vacuum, like they can be however strong or weak you really want them to be, because like they're fundamentally limited by the cards they appear on. So, what units like would units be better or worse if they were designed as is with that? They would probably be slightly better. Because, well, I mean, so your opponent has more options for trying to uh, disable it, but you're never going to lose the value on that. You're always going to get something for it. Whereas right now, barrier can be defeated by banner, shield can be defeated by like a scorch or something, and it's kind of, you know, it can be worked around. But that one there, like you set yourself up for, okay, well, all of my stuff can be undone by a zap or whatever. But I think that that would probably be a net benefit to cards. Especially because it means that you can play a shield unit, even when your opponent doesn't have units on board, and still get some value from it. Just something I think about every once in a while. Yeah. I know that, like, whenever we interviewed Coulter, I asked him, like, if there was one thing he could change, like, go back in time, redo with Skyweaver, what would it be? I don't remember for certain, but I'm pretty darn sure that his answer was making all the enchantments not elementally flavored, so that way he could have some enchants that were more varied or something like that. Yeah, that is what he said. If you want to go back, it's episode four of this podcast. Oh. Just what I want to listen to, my own voice. <clears throat> I was talking to the audience, man. <laughs> no, everything is directed at me. <laughs> I'm not telling you to go listen to episode four of Sky Sessions, I'm saying if you want to hear what Coulter says about um, de designing the game and what he wishes he could change, yeah, that yeah, is an yeah. episode four of Sky Sessions podcast. I hear you, Baka. So, uh, who's doing metal? I lost you mean track. armor? Yeah, the armor element. The armor what element? Is, what is relevant about... The armor element. <laughs> I I don't know if if dark is wither, uh, metal's armor. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I think metal has more thing to do than just armor. Uh, I mean, uh, um, it's probably the most iconic trait you might think when you uh think about metal. But also, I I'd want to go a bit further than this. I want to classify metal as the as the element that has most trade interaction, <clears throat> not only because most of the armor's unit is in the metal element, but also the negative enchantment that you have in metal is actually chant, which will remove uh, every single uh, trade in uh, on the units it's, it's placed on. And also you have a lot of uh, spells that can give trace to your own units, for example, buckler up, and also my 
uh, favorable one cost bill tightness iteration. So uh, you can give uh, trade to your own unit, and and you also have a lot of option to remove trade in uh, on your opponent's unit. So yeah. even though the the armor is the most <coughs> iconic one, you might think in this certain element, but it also uh, the element is also really good at interaction with other traits, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a solid thing to say. Um, it does a lot of things pretty good. There's a there's a lot of. I mean, it has some buff. It has a little bit of resurrection. It has some dusting. It has a lot of everything, and that's one thing that makes I think metal tribal decks excel is they're not shoehorning only doing one thing. Micron drones are also metal, which you'll see a lot of, um, you know, and we have dash being a trait that you, you can run into frequently in metal. So overall, metal's got a lot of options, pretty much all of them. So I say when we're going to specify one thing, um, armor is, is the thing that makes it unique, in my opinion, or, or takes it to a different level than other um, things. But traits is also a very good answer. You know, Cytus, originally, I was just going to say it is, like, just the armor prism. But listening to you guys, I actually realized something more fundamental about the metal prism. The metal prism... The metal prism. Pfft, the metal element. I think more than anything else, what fundamentally makes, like, metal good is that it's blessed with just inbuilt synergies across the board. So, uh, first off, metal is far and away, right now, the best element. To take advantage of its elemental synergies. If you talk about like cards like Glorious Main, Jungle Guide, and Nurtured Bond, the best elemental deck is purely metal, and there's a very simple reason for that. Metal has more armor units than any other element in the game. Armor is a very powerful keyword. Normally, units, whenever like they are designed, uh, there's kind of like so many points that can be attributed to any unit for it to be like on curve or whatever. Armor tends to eat up like a lot of those points because it's just it's just really good. That's why something like Armist Medic is a two mana two one with like lifesteal and then at the end of your turn it goes plus one. The reason why it kind of like has so little health is because it has that armor. Armor is a huge magnifier. Whenever you're talking about elemental synergies in, in the game right now, they are primarily focused around buffing units. Again, Jungle Guide, Glorious Main, Nurtured Bond. Jungle Guide, of course, by the way, can just buff metal cards in your hand because it has an impale attached. Armor is really, really stupid good with buffs, because once you start increasing that, it starts magnifying the effectiveness of armor. So first off, it's got that on its own. Aside from that, armor is blessed with having two very useful tokens that appear on a wide number of its cards. Obviously, like Micron Drones with uh, cards like Microneer, Drone Swarm, Overdrive, they are just little pings of damage, they are versatile, they can do all kinds of things, they can pressure the opponent, they can set up synergies with like, uh, Big Friend or Frenzy, they can do, they can do stuff with Overdrive, they just work. Aside from that, you have Armist Guards, which, of course, being like recently part of the expansion, they just got support, they, uh, do all kinds of things. All of that put together, you have an element that whenever you actually build for it, it ends up supporting itself in, like, novel ways. So like, if you're going to buff your metal cards by playing other metal cards, 
well, that's also just going to make all of your other metal cards better. If you're already doing that, then you play Electron. Cool, now you're getting burn and healing also. Also, you're going to have stuff like Heavy Cavalry. That's just going to find more of your metal cards, buff them more. Heavy Cavalry in the current meta isn't too good, but you buff it, and suddenly it gets good, and then it draws a metal unit that's already been buffed, and it buffs it again. It all just, like, works together. And, uh, it's, it's big. It does a lot of good stuff. 100%, 100%. Yeah, it's probably the most uh, powerful uh, single element deck in the current meta. And talking about Mirror Metal. It's um, one of the most powerful decks yeah. in the meta, period. Before Mirror Metal took over everything, uh, it was like Fox Metal for a while. And Fox was the uh, dominant deck starting from like... When did Hexbound Invasion come out? Was that this year or last year? Beginning of this year, end of, end, of, end of July, early February, I believe. Yeah, so like Hexbound Invasion came out, and before then, going back to December, like Fox Metal was the dominant deck. Or it wasn't like the dominant deck, but it, like it was really good, and it was just like metal synergies and like an aggressive prism. Hexbound Invasion comes out, it releases support for like Armus, and it kind of just migrates over to Mira, which honestly, like this is one of the reasons why it's kind of hard to nerf Metal Mira, because, like, if you do, a lot of that just shifts over back to Fox or whatever. So, like, the nerfs would have to be focused on the strength side of things. But, like, it's been rocking and rolling for, like, six, seven months now. It just has good fundamentals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, also, uh, the one thing I noticed about this element is that the dev really love to print metal cards. So after the Clash of uh-huh. Mentor release, uh, Metal is actually, um, at some point, the element with most cards in the game. And then uh, they print a lot of uh, dark cards in Hexbound Invasion, and then that's become the uh, pro- prominent one. And now Metal is the second most, uh, Metal has the second most cards in the game among the 8%. So... <clears throat> They also contribute to the fact that they are one of the most powerful elements right now because you have a lot of options to choose from. Yeah. And then, I uh, have... Th- oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that, like, I have been, like, very, very subtly telling uh, Culture and Mata that, like, hey, guys, if you still need ideas for the next expansion, if you want to do, like, a, uh, like, winter or Christmas expansion, you could drop us, like, some, uh, air and light and water cards and uh not not saying it's my idea but like you know if you if you wanted to hypothetically uh, been poking at them yeah uh i think the next element we are going to look at is also suffering from the lack of choices and i'm talking about the mind element and uh, when i try to look at this element uh it's pretty hard to find a very specific defi- definition of this elements can do because it can do a lot of different stuff. So uh, I think the one thing that this element can do while the others element almost do not have any similar effect is copying stuff. So uh, you can copy a lot of different stuff from uh, this element, for example, uh, you can steal your opponent's spell with Trevor Keeper 
uh, you can copy your own stuff with dual boot illusion or sting twice. And you can also uh, utilizing what your opponent just played by playing something like double trouble and face dealer. And we know uh, we know we have some other option to copy stuff in other element. For example, you can copy your own unit with Soulforge, but they are not as much as uh, what my element uh, have in their pocket. So my choice there will be copying stuff for this element. It's a pretty weird element throw. <laughs> it kind of does everything. Yeah, I'm gonna say yeah. for mine. <laughs> If you look at Mind, the best Mind cards have been nerfed. I mean, and that's the, because Mind was at least very good at hugely explosive turns. We used to see Twist and Churn into, you know, Sphinx Mask into uh, Comet, which is still possible, but that, that was something that was common. Arcadian Mask used to be something where we'd see, you know, 15 cards played a turn or something. Um Enigma Golem gets a free card, but we saw Matucci's Command bring out things for cheap. May Long used to be a two-cost 7-7. Seven, seven. Um, we still have a lot of cheating things. Dream Calling is probably the classic, you know, get something out for uh, less than it costs. Um, so these explosive turns, like Tome Golem's Gato interaction, they've all been nerfed because mine has been troubling because it's able to... Um, do some wacky, impactful things. Yeah, one of the fundamental design flavors for the mind element is kind of like a focus on cost and cost reduction and like actually adjusting things. And you can kind of see that all the way through... Uh, here, hang on, I'm selected on units right now. You can see that in a lot of cards that focus on that. Like a Potion Seller, Hacks, Puppet Strings, Doubling Cube... Mengelung's Wish, Homebrew, Crossref, Mad Hat, older versions of a Thought Leader, but uh, and even on the top end, you know, like you have Enigma Golem, of course, and Mengelung and Lore Keeper. But uh, historically, the cost manipulating cards in Skyweaver have been really powerful. So some of that like elemental design and flavor has probably been eroded as those cards have had to be scaled back. I will say, though, you guys just gave me a horrible, and by horrible, I mean amazing idea. Uh, Y'all still there? Yeah, we're listening. Oh, my uh, AirPod kind of did something. Yeah, I was looking through these, and I just realized that, like, for a long time, people have been talking about how, like, Wisdom has no 9-cost unit for uh, anything. And I was kind of looking through all these again, because I'm like, Enigma Golem really only has, like, one good pool in Mask Confuse. But I was looking through, I'm like, is there really nothing else he can get? And then you mentioned Dream Calling, I'm like, oh yeah, I can play Dream Calling. Well, what the hell are we going to play with Dream Calling? And I was looking back through, and I'm like, oh, wait a sec, that's that's Banjo. There is only one 9-cost unit in Intellect now, because Cryogen just got nerfed to 10. So you can play an Enigma Golem on 8 or so. You can rip oh. Dream Calling out. And then if you set up your elements, yeah, you can play Hex Beast. That is, uh, that's how much mana of stats for your 8? Well, I mean, it's 8 plus 9, so 17. And then Hex Beast will play like a spell. Maybe it Dream Call. probably won't be an incredible spell. Ah, yes. And then we get 
absolutely nothing because we really need a nine cost <laughs> unit in wisdom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm all I'm all look at building that deck because uh that seems like novel and interesting. Yeah, you saw. And you fun. know you run mass confuse you run mass confuse too, but like you hit one or the other you're not really too sad about either. Yep. Hell, let me throw Illusion in here. Illusion's just a free guy. Illusion is just like a free 3-3 three, three on Golem. That's what I just said. Yeah. Yeah. You ready for our last element? But I am. Okay. Yeah. What do you... Yeah. Bacon think water is most known for. Yeah, so when I think of water, I think of my old friend and rival, uh, Hanu Street. And when I think of him, I think of control. The water element is primarily focused on the wisdom and intellect prisms, although, of course, like it exists in a heart two mostly. It kind of exists in strength and agility, but it is a uh, pun intended here. Kind of just drips. As for what, like, water actually excels at, it has got a lot of good removal tools, and it has a lot of, like, very high-end control tools. On the cheap end, you've got very useful things like Water Rune, which is kinda a one-mana deal four. Sunder is a two-mana deal five, the only two-cost spell that I think can really rival Incinerate in terms of just, like, reliability. Uh, you've got other things like... Whelm? Uh, what else am I looking That's at? the Water first time Whelm has been shit. said on this podcast in like five episodes. What the hell? <laughs> it's because it's not busted anymore. Like, he here's the current Whelm situation. Here's your Whelm update, everybody. So your opponent plays Zomboids. They build out a wide board of Zomboids. You play Whelm to counter. You take six points of burn damage, and then they kill you with Grave Royal. I mean, you killed them. You destroyed the Zomboids, but it didn't really matter. Alternatively, your opponent is like a Mira Will. You They play out their board, you play Whelm, all of their units are still alive. Your opponent is Mira Metal, they build out their board, you play Whelm, they probably still have all their units, or they just didn't care. Uh, so that is, that is your Whelm update, everybody. <laughs> Aside from that, uh, it also has like Anchor Drop, a card that I really like. And then, like, as for actual, like, control options on top, you have the Notorious Spellbreaker, which is just, like, it doubles a spell that is incredibly useful for all kinds of things. You can play, like, two Gifts of Fire. You can Mass Confuse if the first one somehow wasn't going to destroy things. You have Frenzy, and then you have Cryogen, which will probably get nerfed in a bit, but, like, it'll probably still be good. And then you have what is arguably the best, like, just pure greed card in the game right now, which is Floodwater, which just returns all of your dead water cards to your deck, and then you draw eight, because, you know, I wanted a full hand. I spent nine mana, I am going to have a full hand. Speaking of Floodwater, what I put down for water uh, was draw. Seriously, there's just an insane amount of draw in uh, water, from Fish, Miramas, Seek, Ari's Insight, Angler, Hydrate, Tutor... Turn the tide, and then, like you said, floodwaters draw eight, and that's not even without mentioning that um, vapors right now 
is being used a lot, and that is just straight draw as well. So we see um, more draw, like even Reefus has got draw, you know, so there's just uh, more draw in water than you see in most other places. Yeah, that's yeah, a good observation. One of my favorite combos is just Angler and the Hydrate, just because it's like really solid numbers. Okay, so I'm pretty happy that my take is not as sand as your guys. So in my opinion, uh, water is the best supportive element in the game. And I'm talking about uh, if you are playing a, a deck that is centers around one or two very important cards and you want to fetch these cards as soon as possible, uh, water is the best supportive element you can choose from because it has the best tutoring cards in, in the game. So I'm talking about Aris Inside. Uh, you can tutor every any cards uh, that you want to do. And you also have some other options to tutor. For example, Angular can draw you Aris Inside, and Fish can draw you the lowest cost unit uh, in your deck, which can be really handy if you are playing uh, something like Old Foggy or Cascade and you want to draw it as soon as possible. And C can draw you the highest cost spell, which means uh, if you want to draw a very important card such as Grave Reel, you can do it with Seek. And also, uh, last but not less, we have Sonic Signal. So Sonic Signal can be used to tutor a 3 cost spell or a 8 cost spell if you wish to play it on a later stage of the game. And if you build your deck very uh, precisely, you can always be certain what you will get from playing Iris Inside, Fish, Sonic Signal, or Seek. And uh, as mentioned before, if your deck is centering around uh, one or two very important cards such as Ghost Man, Amaru's Rail, or Old Foggy, uh, you can uh, always uh, increase your chance to draw those cards by including the water cards we just mentioned. So in my opinion, water is the best supportive uh, element at tutoring cards. Yeah, I definitely agree. And that's something I was also thinking of when I say, you know, draw, because most of what you're tutoring is being able to draw that thing that you need. So I totally yeah. agree. Yeah, those are good observations. Okay, well, that finishes up the uh, elements, and I think that's a perfect uh, amount of time for a podcast. Anything you guys want to say to take us out or last last thoughts or culminations of ideas metal is really good <laughs> yeah, i'm really excited about the next big uh patches uh if they are going to really start the decks and this one and i'm pretty happy that it doesn't overlapping my vacation so now uh if they release the starter tag like this week or next week, I will have plenty of time to play it on, on live server. So uh, I'm pretty hyped about it. Yeah, and I guess about vacations and stuff, I should mention there's a chance I won't be on the next episode of Sky Sessions or we might miss it. Uh, so if uh, if you're without me, I'm I'm sorry I'm there with you in person. In spirit. In person, that's creepy as hell. <laughs> If, um, We've never if been in the same room before. Only, None of us have. Yeah. It's only creepy if you make it creepy. I definitely make it creepy. Ah, we we really need you, Brankhand, though, because I cannot take 
just it vaguely. He is too far. Are you implying that y'all are you implying that y'all could even take me together? You know what? Actually, just that bacon, this is your shot. This is your one chance. Don't let it blow. You're gonna do the podcast by yourself. I could definitely scream into abyss for like 30 minutes. Oh man. Okay, well, I think that wraps up for us. This was fun. This was good to talk about. It was a nice little thing um, to do. And um, good job with the competitive league. I yeah, this was a good topic. Yeah. Um, they said tournaments are going to be returning on the 1st of July. So let's get in there. Let's make some money and have some fun competition. Um, and thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful uh, day, night, and life.